Hey, good morning, TCV. I'm so glad that you are gathering together in this church service, uh, regardless of where you are. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we've had to pause our in-person services for one more week so that wherever you are in the Philadelphia metro area or wherever you are around the world, as we join together where two people are gathered in my name, Jesus said, there I am in their midst and distance does not separate us from that. I want to start by telling you about a Harvard study that was done in 1998. Uh, They had hired an actor to randomly go up to people on a college campus and ask for directions to a certain location. Every single time someone stopped to give the directions, a construction crew slowly came in between the person asking for directions and the new person giving directions so that this piece of drywall slowly came in between them. And while that was happening, the Harvard researchers took the person that originally asked for the directions, brought them off off camera, and then brought a completely new person dressed in the exact same clothes, but a completely different person. And once the drywall passed, 50% of the time, the person giving the directions didn't even notice. I want to talk today about aggressively going after the goals that God has called us to accomplish in our lives and how distraction stands in between you and what God wants you to accomplish over this next year. Interestingly, the, uh, a Nielsen audience survey found that the average person in the United States spends 10 hours and 39 minutes each day in front of screens, phones, tablets, computers, and TVs. If you were to actually write down how much time you spend in front of a screen, what do you think that amount would be? I always told, told my family uh, that I'm a minimalist, man. I just don't spend that much time. I don't waste that much time in front of screens. And my daughters were like, uh, yeah, sure. So my daughter, one of my daughters installed an app on my phone that just tracked the amount of time, forget TV, that tracked the amount of time that I spent on my phone. Now, how much do you spend on your phone every single day? An hour? Two hours? Three hours? Four? Five hours? I didn't think I spent more than 30 minutes on my phone max. Lean to the person next to you that's in your room and point to them and say, I think you spend this amount of money or this amount of time on your phone. Now, British researchers say that whatever amount of time you think you actually do spend on your phone, double that at a minimum. At a minimum, double that. British uh, psychologist Dr. Richards House said, it's quite shocking that on average one-third of people's walking hours are spent on their phone. One-third. On average, five times an hour every waking hour. Now, I'm embarrassed to say this, but after my daughter put this uh, app on my phone, I completely forgot about it. And then a week later, it gave me an alert. How much time do you think I spent on my phone? Three hours, I'm embarrassed to say this, three hours and 12 minutes. Three hours and 12 minutes. It's like three hours and 12 minutes I'll never get back each day. What was I doing on my phone that I couldn't have been doing 
uh, on, uh, on another device or at another time? What was so important that I literally was taking three hours every single day of my life to do that? Dr. Clifford Noss is a professor at Stanford University, and he did a study on multitasking. And he's, he, he confessed at the beginning of the study, I always stood in awe of multitaskers. So people who could work on their phone and they're also on their computer and they're talking, to other, like lots of things going around. I'm a multitasker. I get lots of things done. That's the common perception in our culture. And so what Dr. Nass did is he took people that admittedly were low multitaskers. They only worked on one thing at a time and they took multitaskers. And what he did is they gave them both a series of studies, a series of games, a series of problems to solve. And he monitored them over weeks at a time. And here's what he discovered. Multitaskers were just lousy at everything. They were outperformed on every measure. Although they were convinced that they themselves were incredible at getting things done Uh, Nas said, I was sure they had some secret ability, but it turns out that high multitaskers are suckers for irrelevancy. So we're finishing up today this series called Better. We've been talking about the things where we just know we can do better at that. We talked about being better at debt. Just, we talked about being better at, like, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, but we don't give to the local church. We can be better than we, we can be better uh, at saving. Uh, Frank did a fantastic job uh, um, last week about uh, curbing our spending impulse and our consumption. And today I want to talk about what stands in between who you want to be and our distraction towards irrelevancy. We are better than meaningless distraction. Let me give you two quick scripture verses. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. James 4.14 says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And what I love about this season, the week before Thanksgiving and the December season is that this is the most fertile environment for you to to begin thinking about what your goals are, for your intentions for the next year. This is where I begin to really think and pray and try to listen to God and lay out an agenda for the next year, Uh, for me, uh, for our family, uh, for different adventures that I want to go on, for the church, for the people that I want to pour my life into, and on and on and on and on. And so my question to you is, I... Are you going to squander this next year? I want you to think about over since March, all of the things that we all could have done. If we would have said, yeah, this sucks. And then, I mean, just think of the businesses we could have started. Just think of the the products. Just think of the art. Just think of the books we could have read. Just think of all of the different goals that you have for the way that you want to improve your life and the way you want to make a difference in people's lives. Like most people, when I talk to them, just squandered, wallowing, and, 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 and dread since March. You know what? We're going to take our lives back, and I want to show you how we're going to do this through this scripture verse. Um, 
The scripture that we're going to look at is in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and it begins this way. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to them. Very familiar passage, but I'm going to point out something in this story that most people have never noticed. In that culture, owning a home, Martha's home, was a rarity. It wasn't until the 1960s. Think about this. So those, of you, those, those of you who are women who are watching this, it wasn't until the 60s that a woman could actually buy her own home without finding some man to co-sign with her. It's just ridiculous. And here is Martha who has her own home. And the implication is she is a successful business owner who's able to own a large enough home that this, the, the town of Bethany was like a little suburb of Jerusalem. And whenever Jesus would come all the way down from Galilee, he would always stay at Martha's house. In other words, Martha's house was big enough for the 12 disciples, their wives, their kids, if they brought them, Jesus, and probably a, a larger band of people. This was a massive house. And so the gospel of Luke essentially is this gospel of, that empowers women. And, and so I just wanted to pause and make sure you see that about this. Anyway, verse 39 says, she had a sister named Mary who was sitting at the Lord's feet listening to what she said. Now, this in and of itself is shocking. To sit at um, someone's feet in the first century is the sign of listening to a teacher. In, in Hebrew, it's a, a rabbi. And in the first century, women were not allowed sitting at the feet of a teacher, uh, a rabbi that was popular at this time. His name was Rabbi Eliezer uh, ben Harkanus. Um, Eliezer said this, he said, instructing a woman in the law is like teaching her blasphemy. Let the law be burned rather than entrusted to a woman. And so the Jesus movement was on the cusp of basically destroying these patriarchal cultural norms that essentially the early church began to live out. And so women were treated equally alongside of Jesus. But Luke continues and says this, but Martha was distracted. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet listening, but Martha was running around with her hair on fire. She was distracted by all the preparations. Well, yeah, hey, you know what? I'd be distracted too if I had 25 people crash in my house and want to eat dinner. And so she was distracted by all of the preparations. And it, the, the way that it's worded meant that it wasn't just, hey, she, she prepared a meal and then sat down with Jesus. But like the whole time that Martha was there with Jesus and his disciples, she was constantly distracted. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Notice that. Few things are needed, and indeed only one. Right now in this moment, there's one thing that is the most important, and I'm telling you right now, it's not the roasted chicken or the roasted lamb. The most important thing you need to be doing right now is listening to me, and that's what Mary's doing. I appreciate the meal. I appreciate the hospitality. But right now, in this moment, few things are needed. And here's my question. 
Who do you tend to be like? Do you tend to be like Mary that has the ability to discern that in the moment she's going to focus on the most important thing? Or do you happen to be a lot more like Martha where it says, but Martha was distracted. Those of you who have your Bibles open, what I want you to do is I want you to underline that word distracted in the Greek. It's the word that meant to be drawn away from. And it was the combination of the Greek word uh, uh, peri, which meant around, and speo, which meant to pull a sword. And so distraction, the word that Luke used to describe the the, 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 the scatteredness of mind that Martha had was in and out of pulling a sword out of a sheath. In and out. Like, when you pull your sword, your adrenaline is up, you're ready to go, and then you're like, ah, that wasn't a threat, you put it back. It wasn't like people just randomly pull their swords in and out. And so you're in a constant state of being drawn to this, and then I'm drawn to this, and then I'm drawn to this, and drawn to this, and I don't get anything done because I don't understand that in the moment there is this one thing that I need to do. I keep drawing, my attention is like a sword coming out of the sheath constantly. I get this email, I look at this thing, I get this note, I get this notification. There's this thing that I'm constantly drawn to. Underlying this whole series that we've been in in November is this concept called minimalism stripping away any excess from our lives to make room for what matters. Like stripping away debt so we can focus on what matters. Um, Saving so we can focus on what matters. Uh, Paying attention to our consumption habits so we can focus on what matters. But following the way of Jesus is not just about removing physical stuff. It is about being being of mind to be able to discern in the moment right now, a few things are needed. In fact, one thing is the thing that I need to focus on. I mentioned earlier about all of the things that we could have done. Over this next year, do you want to start a business? You want to start a side hustle? Do you want to build up a business? Do you want to write a book? Do you want to get a new degree? Do you want to go on a grand adventure? Do you want to do something that's meaningful? Do you want to accomplish specific goals, not just in your life, but in the lives of people that you care about the most? This passage says is that there's one person that you need to be like, and it's not the person that's running around with their hair on fire. Minimalism says that life in front of a screen can be helpful, but it's not real. Listen, TikTok is a tool for humor, not for community. Facebook friends are not actually your friends unless you know them outside of Facebook. They're just virtual acquaintances. Filtered Instagram posts do not reflect real life unless that is who you really are. Deep down, we can all agree that what we crave is depth and focus. We want to be able to look back at the end of 2021 on a life that has been well lived. And to be able to do that, we have to be minimalistic in the way we approach things. 
We have to strip away the things that are vying for our attention, and we have to doggedly focus on the things that are going to provide the greatest value. Listen to what the great Quaker Thomas Kelly said about what we really crave. In his book, Testament of Devotion, love this little book, we are not integrated, we are distraught. We feel honestly the pull of many obligations and try to fulfill them all. And we are unhappy, uneasy, strained, oppressed, and fearful we shall be shallow. For over the margins of life comes a whisper, a faint call, a premonition of richer living which we know we are passing by. Strained by the mad pace of our daily outer burdens, we are further strained by an inward uneasiness. Man, I get that. Because we have hints that there is a way of life vastly richer and deeper than all this hurried existence. A life of unhurried serenity, peace, and power. I want to end by showing you something. Uh, On the back of my office at home, I have a small little office in our house where my books are. On the back of that door, when I shut the door, I look at this photo every single day. And this photo is a picture of every single week that I'm going to live. If I live the average life expectancy for a man of 85 years, there are 4,000 little squares. And what I do is every single week, at the end of the week, I walk up and I fill in a square. When Lisa saw that, she said, my goodness, that is morbid. (laughs) You probably do too. You probably think it's morbid. But let me tell you, it works for me. I look at that because I have way less open squares than the ones that are filled in. It's tough being 36. It's tough being 36. Let me give you three December challenges. The first is this. I want to challenge you to no phones during family meals December. No phones during family meals December. Uh, There are many things you could be doing. There are a few things that are most important. One thing that is most important when it is the evening is making family dinner something you look forward to. One of the things I so enjoy is picking up my daughters at different places. I'll go this week and pick one of them up at the airport and another one will show up. And when I'm in the car, she'll start to tell me stories. And then she will catch herself and say, no, 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 I'm going to wait for dinner. I'm going to wait for dinner. Because dinner for us, as it's modeled in the Bible, is this leisurely time where we share stories. And it is a time that, that, that we cherish more, more than most things uh, in our family. The time where we did get together for meals and we just laugh and, and share stories. And so uh, one rule that we have in our family is nobody's bringing that phone and put it on the table. So there are times where we have, we have broken that rule and my wife or me or whatever, we're like, no, 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 get rid of that phone. So first one is no phones December. Can you do that? Look around the room right now and say, can we commit to that? During dinner, we're going to put the phone somewhere else and put it on silent. No phones December. Number two, 
I want you to turn off your phone for one whole day a week. Now, I know some of you in the room just said, yep, not doing that. Uh, But I, I need it for work or something like that. I totally get that. But what I want to challenge you to do is if you can't do it for a day, and I think most people can do it for a day. I think most people can do no phone Saturday. What I want to encourage you to do is I want you to take while you are working, I want you to take your phone and I want you to put it in a different room. Uh, For those of you who have a problem, like phone goes off and it wakes you up or whatever, take that phone, pull it out of your bedroom. Whenever you're at meals, you're going to take your phone away because, my goodness, do you really need an alert from a social media platform to interrupt that conversation that you're having, that work that you're having? Cal Newport wrote a book called um, Deep Work, and he he, he proved that that it's impossible to basically get back to where you were. That if I'm writing, for instance, which is why I'm interested in that book, if I'm writing and then I'm interrupted by that phone call, then it's not like I can jump right back into it. There's what he calls attention residue. And so what I have to do is it takes me sometimes like 45 minutes to an hour to get back to that moment. That conversation, that time with your son, that conversation that you're having with that family member that's interrupted by that phone call interrupted by that text, that's interrupted by that social media alert, it takes a while to get back to that. And what's most important in that scenario? Your phone, that text, that call that that, that could wait, or that person. So one day a week. Third is this. I want you to write your obituary by January 1st. Now, if you didn't think the first thing that I talked about, the photo on my door was morbid, uh, this, this, might, this might get you, but this may be one of the most important things you do coming out of this message. I want you to write your obituary. Um, this week, I uh, took a piece of paper that I printed and I handed it to Lisa, and uh, I said, could you edit this? And what it was is I was taking a life planning course by Donald Miller which is just fantastic. I can't, I can't say enough things about it, but it's very simple. What he has you do is you write your obituary. It's a page long. And then what you do before you plan your day each day, you write your obituary. He asks you a bunch of questions. What do you want to be known for? Uh, who do you want to invest in the most? What do you want to accomplish in your life in certain areas? And then you go and you write your obituary. And then what you do is before you plan each day, you simply unfold that obituary. You take three minutes and you read it knowing that you are going to die at some point. And so what I did is I gave it to Lisa. I said, read it. And then what did she say? She was like, oh, this is morbid too. <laughs> this is morbid. And then she said, I see the wisdom in it though. I see the wisdom in it. Here's what I wrote. Brian Jones' obituary. Donald Miller says, you need to pick the day you're going to die. On Friday, July 1st, 2052, Brian Jones was laid to rest, surrounded by his family and a small group of friends. Why just a small group of friends? Because I'm outliving you all. Here we go. Brian was born on February 1st, 1967 to Columbus, Ohio. He was incredibly blessed to be raised. And I'm not reading the whole thing, by the way, but he was incredibly blessed to be raised in a loving Christian family by his father, Charles, his mother, Darlene, and his two sisters, Sherry and Laura. And then I talked about my life as a kid, 
my call to ministry. I talked about this church and all the amazing people here. I talked about my call to write, my call to serve pastors, my love of going on adventures in nature. And then I wrote, but everyone knew that Brian's greatest love was his his beautiful wife, Lisa. They met in sixth grade church camp, reunited their first year at Kentucky Christian University, were married on July 30th, 1988. And their greatest love was their three incredible daughters and their husbands and children and grandchildren. And then I end it by saying, per Brian's wishes, he was buried in a pine box, which I always want to be uh, as a minimalist. I want to be like a cowboy in a pine box. No good spending $6,000 on a casket that's going in the ground in three days. That's stupid. Put me in a pine box. You put him in a pine box uh, like the cowboys in old Western movies. And everyone came to the funeral dressed in Ohio State scarlet and gray while Ohio State marching band music played in the background. And afterwards, those in attendance ate Skyline Chili and Greeter's ice cream and sat around and shared stories. In lieu of flowers, Brian requested that people sponsor a child through Mission of Hope International. Now, I, might, I don't know what you're feeling when, as, as you're hearing me read this. Is that corny? That's, is, it, is that interesting? Is that, is, that, is that morbid? But let me tell you, writing your obituary and knowing exactly the number of years I have left and knowing true north, who's most important to me, what I want to accomplish in life, gives me someone who is prone to trying to do many things. I am prone to multitasking. I don't want to be a sucker for irrelevancy, as Dr. Nas said. I want to focus on the few things, and indeed, the one most important thing, and that is Jesus. And so I want to pray that you take this month, no phone at the dinner table December, one day a week, you're going to take one day a week and just do whatever you want to do. If it's an adventure, if it's work, if it's just be with family. And then I want you to write your obituary because I believe God wants us to number our days so that we have a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. God, we're better than just being suckers for irrelevancy by constantly allowing ourselves to be distracted by stuff that doesn't matter. God, we have very limited time here on earth. Give us a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we would have wise hearts to know what the few most important things are, indeed, the most important thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.